Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, welcome to another episode of Informed Dissent. Great to be with you again. Great to be with you. <laughs> so um, we're on all Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and all the, all the podcast uh, channels now. And uh, as we have done in the past, we've got a fantastic guest. And I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce our wonderful guest for uh, this evening. Well, I met our guest a few months ago and have been begging her to come on our show ever since because I had such a lovely conversation with her that was unfortunately cut short by my need to rush to an airport and fly home. This woman has a long career in war correspondence, investigative journalism, uh, radio. Most recently, she had her own show on Fox Nation titled Laura Logan Has No Agenda. And tonight we are welcoming the one and only Laura Logan to Informed Dissent. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much. And if I can just be correct the record there, you didn't have to beg, Mark. I said yes first time. <laughs> Actually, that's true. Well, Laura, we, we've been excited to have you on our show for a while now, and I'm glad it finally worked out and we could coordinate our time. Me too. Thank you both for being patient. Yeah. You know, I, I met you in the midst of a crisis, um, not just for you, but for others. And without going into a lot of the detail of the circumstances, um, you were really at a point of transition and had just uh, been uh, told to leave the show that you had been on for two years. That's a few months ago. I, I first want to ask you, before we get back to the conversation that we left sort of hanging as I, as I ran off to the airport, uh, how has your life been since then and, and what have you been up to? Uh, have you started any new projects? What has been the transition for you uh, in the last few months? Because I, I haven't really heard anything since then. <laughs> So, well, what's interesting is that um, my bosses, you know, at the show, um, they just asked me to lie low. No one has uh, formally ended the show or anything like that. So I'm still waiting to see what happens there. Um, mm. It's not my first rodeo. I know how this works. And so although I, I really love the people that I was working with and working for, um, I know that when you're a problem for people with power in this country, the people who drive the so-called cancel culture, right? Um, they, they know how to do this extremely well. It's they've perfected the art. And the benefit of that for the rest of us is that we can start to learn and recognize the patterns and the tactics. So what you will see time and time again is the initial hit, right? Here's the initial tech. Laura Logan was asking about Dr. Fauci. Uh, he had just said he was science, and if people attack him or criticize him, they're criticizing the science. I was asked to comment on that. And, um, and what I responded to that was something that was accurate um, and true. And I said, uh, many people that I talk to see Fauci more as Dr. Joseph Mengele than as science. And, um, you know, of course, for me, that is not meant to disrespect the victims of the Holocaust in any way whatsoever. I am basing that on the fact that doctor after doctor after doctor and many other people, too, have said to me repeatedly that Fauci will be known in the end as the biggest mass killer in history. And uh, when you understand that this virus is a bioweapon and you know his role in that, 
When you look at his role in denying people uh, early treatment, still denying to this day the importance of early treatment, aggressive treatment, uh, you know, well, uh, well tested, safe, um, uh, different protocols that can treat COVID and so on and so on and so on. That's just the people with the disease, right? That doesn't get to how many people died because of lockdowns, how many elderly were put into you know, what was essentially solitary confinement in the nursing homes and went into early dementia, who died lonely, miserable, undeserved deaths without ever holding a loved one again. Because these people who knew that lockdowns didn't work, in fact, what we know now, right, is that lockdowns increased the spread because being in a confined space like that, being out of the sunlight. I mean, look, I, I covered Ebola at the height of the worst Ebola outbreak in history. And I traveled with a virologist who was a hemorrhagic scientist. And so I learned a little bit from him. You know, I'm no expert, but I know that a virus lasts far longer indoors than it does out in the burning sun. So telling people to stay indoors doesn't help. It doesn't work. And, you know, now we have so many different examples from studies to Sweden to whatever, whatever. But the point is that the lockdowns that crippled the economy, that put child abuse victims in the home with their abusers, that put battered wives in the home with their, uh, with their torturers, right? Not to mention all the people who were too afraid to go to hospitals, so they died of things that they wouldn't otherwise have died from necessarily. Not to mention the lost generations of kids in schools. And I'm just giving you the best case scenario because that's how it's affected the United States. When you go further afield to third world countries like where I'm from in South Africa, do you know what online school does to you in a country where how many millions of families have no access to computers, have no data? Remember in South Africa, you buy a little data card because you can only afford $10 of data and they can't download the work. They don't have printers. If you don't have electricity at home, you sure as hell don't have a printer. I mean, you know what? My, I mean, my sister was printing things for her, you know, her, her gardener, the guy who works in her yard, and for all kinds of people in her neighborhood. Because online school was a death sentence for millions of children across the third world. And as you both know, I'm just scraping the top, the, the tip. Yeah, right? This is literally just the surface stuff. We haven't even gotten to the obliteration of small businesses and all the many other things, the rise in mental illness and so on and so on. That's before we touch the vaccines and the vaccine deaths and the vaccine injured. I mean, and we're not even looking yet at Fauci's history with AZT, how, how they developed the panacea to treat AIDS that replicated the uh, progression of the disease itself. So families and, and uh, people who were sick didn't know that it was the AZT treatment that was killing them and not the AIDS. And the, the experiments that uh, Fauci did at the NIH in seven states on black foster kids. So when it comes to children, like, you know, I just kind of, I have to physically stop myself from shutting down because of the intensity of the emotion that it provokes in me. I'm a mama bear. And when I think of foster children, I know there is no child on earth that is more vulnerable and more in need of care and love than a foster child. So to take 29-day-old babies and do experimental medical treatments on them 
enrages me. And also, I am from South Africa. So I stood in the graveyards on a Sunday evening and watched them dig the graves of the children who would die that week and the babies. I mean, I say graves, I say tiny, tiny, tiny little graves, hundreds and hundreds of them, row upon row upon row for all of the children who would die that week. So people who are very far from HIV and AIDS, who didn't live through it like that, when 39.6 million women and children were infected with HIV just in Southern Africa, the people who, who you know, they didn't, they didn't live the stories of women in Malawi um, who are HIV positive, giving birth, and then their immune system's crashing, and they get thrush, and they die from thrush. You know, the agony of dying when you just move your leg a centimeter, and the pain is so bad, right, that that is eventually what kills you. Can you imagine as a doctor, Jeff, people in this country dying from thrush? Do you know how many... Hundreds of thousands of women died like that. And because, you know, so many women were infected during sex and then would have a child. And in that moment of giving birth, that was when they died, right? Because if it wasn't immediate, what it did to their immune systems, they were so immunocompromised at that point, they had no chance of surviving. And they couldn't even afford the salt because when you didn't have medicine in Malawi, they would tell you to get salt, and put it between your legs. And these women died because they couldn't even afford salt. And they died long and slow and agonizing deaths. So no, it's not the same as Dr. Mengele taking Jewish people into a concentration camp and doing the most in absolutely horrific experiments on them. And all the people who suffered at his hand, cutting babies out of pregnant women's stomachs. It's not the same as that, right? But when you see the faces of these little children, because there are photographs of these experiments that Fauci did, and you see how you know, if you're a parent, how trusting these children are, and you're basically poisoning them for the purpose of medical experiments because you know that no one is coming to their defense and they're defenseless. I think that is the embodiment of evil, the absolute embodiment of evil. And I lived with HIV orphans, generations, generations, countless HIV orphans. I went into their homes. I covered their stories. I went back to visit because I couldn't believe the sight of these women who were black women, who were domestic workers earning minimum wage, working day and night in these HIV orphanages. And some of them would even adopt these kids knowing that they would be dead in a few years. And for me, I think that the, the, the courage and the integrity and the love that it takes to love unconditionally like that, someone else's child who you know is dying and you give them everything when you have nothing, knowing that at the end, your reward will be to hold them as they die. I, I look at that and I look at someone like Dr. Fauci who's known from the beginning because he wrote and signed off on papers at the NIH years ago about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, right? He's known for years that they work for these kinds of illnesses. Not to mention when they engineered this bioweapon, they did it on purpose. They did it to cause all these things. And he knew what they were doing. Now, someone might say, well, but he didn't plan to release it or this or that, all the rest of it. I don't care. 
He didn't come out from the very beginning and say, we know what this is because we created it. We didn't mean for this to happen. But considering that we created it, this is what we know. Like, like just think about that for a moment. Just put yourself in Dr. Fauci's head. He knew from day one what this was because he helped create it. He signed off on the projects. He was the person that when people said, hey, you know, this bioweapons research, wow, this doesn't seem like a good idea, seems unethical and it can get out of control and we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, can you like, you know, push this offshore to China, to one of their bioweapons facilities and get it done there? He didn't say no, did he? No, no he didn't. But you he make a very compelling no. case and you're right, he didn't. And the passion that you express that you come across with is clearly genuine. Did you have any idea what the reaction would be when you said this? Or did you just say, you know what? I don't care. I have to tell the truth. What comes, what comes? Mark, I never plan what I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't write. I mean, I might write scribble notes on a napkin so I don't forget something. I might... Um, you know, I, I sometimes say it's a good idea to have a, uh, a beginning and an end um, because it doesn't always work out, right? You, no one bats a thousand. So with or without notes, sometimes it's not my best performance, right? But I just, uh, I don't understand the concept of preparing when you're speaking um, honestly, because as we know, a lie has no legs. You only, to me, you only really have to prepare when you don't know what you're talking about and it's not true. So you have to, you know, you have to cover your ass. Are you allowed to say that on this show? <laughs> I mean, and when I say yes, that, I are. actually mean something more strategic than just CYA. I mean that people who craft lies craft strategies because why else are they lying? They're either doing it to get away with something that they've done or something that they're going to do. Or, you know what I mean? Like the big blue wave in Texas. That's a huge lie, right? There is no blue wave in Texas. Um, yes, there are four cities that go Democrats every election. Um, but the entire rest of the state, except maybe El Paso and a few paces down south, which are increasingly going red, uh, believe in God and guns and gas. Okay, so the party of zero net emissions and burn down the churches, yeah, that's a big lie, right? And so what do they have to do? They have to shape the ground and prepare everyone for the lie so that when you get this, you know, unexpected upset and Beto O'Rourke beats Ted Cruz, um, everyone believes it. Or like here's another classic one. Uh, when the polls close, Donald Trump will be winning. But when the mail-in votes are counted, Joe Biden will win because more Democrats vote by mail than Republicans. Well, that's really convenient when you start now to look at the statistics and you see the polls close and Donald Trump is ahead by miles. And when the polls open, you've just had uh, 30,000 ballots and all 30,000 off of Joe Biden, which anyone will tell you is statistically impossible in an American election. Your agenda is really only to tell the truth and to show courage and determination, which is one thing I've always admired about you. And it's a rare quality uh, among men and even rare among women today. So you have gotten a lot of flack for this. Uh, you've gone into hiding. Clearly, you are not censoring your I'm words not because in you're hiding. speaking freely. <laughs> you're laying low, or at least you were asked I'm to not, lay low. 
No, I mean, look, they told me to lay low. I didn't say I did it. Aha, uh -huh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. I left that part out. No, when I say, look, um, I, I, I'm not a person that airs my dirty laundry in public, right? So at the, I want to be honest, um, and I also want to be uh, somewhat diplomatic. That's tough for me. It, I don't do that particularly well. But at the same time, you want to carry yourself with a little bit of class, right? And so um, I laid low in the sense that I could have done 40 million interviews. I could have gone hard. I could have made a big statement and blah, blah, blah. And I, I didn't do that um, because I, I'm not trying to – I don't need to play dirty pool. What I need to do is, I mean, I've been – I've been censored by the left at CBS in 60 Minutes, and now I've been censored by on the right. And um, I expected that from the very beginning because I'm not politically defined and I'm not trying to please any political party. Nobody owns me. In fact, nobody really owns me now because I don't earn anything. <laughs> but when someone is paying your salary, I think that you they uh, are deserving of a certain amount of respect and you give them their due. But this is not my first rodeo. And so what I started telling you last time is that you would see, and I didn't finish my point, but you will see the initial attack. And they'll take whatever gains they, you know, whatever ground they can gain, like they get you off air, right? But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't fired because I didn't even have a contract. And I don't get paid to be on Fox News. I got paid to do my show on Fox Nation, but everything I did on Fox News, I just did um, unpaid. I did it for the sake of the work. And uh, so they can't really fire me because there's no contract there to fire me from. And so that works for them. But what it, um, what it told me was that I have to be like, you know, the, the baby bird when the mother just kicks them out the nest so they fly on their own. That's what mm -hmm. I really need to do. And, you know, I don't want to run my own business and worry about all that stuff. So I've always avoided being on my own. But this well, is the time. What are you going to do then, Laura? What, how are you going to be on your own? Are you going to affiliate with another major studio or get another uh, connected show with a broadcasting network? Do you want to go your own way now? No. Oh, yeah. No, this is it. Yeah. Wait, this is it. It's me. And I'm, I'm going to have my own show starting in the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to start kind of small. I was trying to put a lot of pressure on myself to do something. You know, I wanted to do my no agenda show, something like that, and do it, you know, on my own. But I realized when enough people told me that people just want access to you. They want to hear what you know about what's going on right now. They want to know your thoughts on Ukraine because, you know, you've covered wars before and you've traveled right. and you know a lot of the the things at stake here they want to know your thoughts on you know this and that and i have uh, so many people coming to me now with stories people that would never have spoken to me in the past people that would never spoken to any journalist right but they are so horrified by what's happening um they want to go to somebody they trust and so initially i'm going to be on locals because i think locals is a platform that I, I love Dave Rubin who started it and his husband, David Janet is fabulous. And, um, and I think that that's a kind of uh, platform that's neutral enough um, where, and it's thoughtful enough. And what I like about it is the model is that you can have your, you know, the public square, right? Where anyone can access your content. And then you have your subscription content where you hopefully have enough subscribers to uh, make a living. And that will be on Rumble as well. 
because mm-hmm. locals has you know has and Rumble have joined, and then you proliferate. You know, I do a lot of interviews on other shows, and I do a lot of um, events. I moderated a political debate in Houston the other night. Those poor candidates didn't know what hit them, and um, and I do a lot of those things. So those can be posted. I don't want to lose the art of a well-crafted, well-written story, like I did on 60 Minutes, like I did on my show on Fox Nation, because I think that taking that time to report, taking that time to really dig and investigate something, and then the discipline of writing beautifully uh, to pictures and uh, to sound um, in in an artful way, saying, you know, a lot of things in one sentence. My boss at 60 Minutes would always say, make every word count. Mm -hmm. And I really learned the art of that. You know, in the beginning, I thought, what does that mean? But then over, you know, because I've been doing this for 35 years now, right? So over time, I realized what it means is that there's no, you know, in TV, we often have these useless transitions to go from this part of the story to that part. And we say books. BS things that don't mean anything, but just to get us there, you in a well-crafted 60-minute story, you will never hear that. It will just be a seamless arc of the story, and it will pull back layer upon layer upon layer. We say it's like peeling, you know, an apple or an orange. There should be another layer and another layer and another layer an onion. below that. And um, and really thinking about your stories and these places and taking someone with you on this journey. And so that's what I'm going to do. But I'll start by doing live streams and I'll add to that some um, interviews when I have a great interview. I don't want to be that I have to do an interview. I have to put something out because people expect it. But, the you know, it's not really... It's not really significant. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to take on more than I can do. So because I'm a mom with three kids, you know, and and I'm the I'm the breadwinner. So um, I don't get to take vacation. Are you con- planning to look at pastors and churches? Oh, and yeah. What's going on with them? Is that a topic of concern? Oh, that is a, you know, I feel like everything's burning down around me. Like, which fire are you going to try to put out first, Right. Um, there's pastors and churches. Obviously, there's the vaccines. The vaccine injured don't have enough of a voice. There's the genocide of Christians in Nigeria, a genocide that's happening on our watch. And as a, a wily old priest said to me once, we love to build museums to genocide. We love to build monuments and say never again. But when we can stop them, we do nothing. We look the other way. And then when we say later, oh, wasn't that awful? How could we let that happen? You know? I mean, it's so true. So that genocide, and also the journalists who are the eyes and ears and the voice of the people being murdered there, they're facing exactly what we face in this country today. They've got journalists in Lagos and Abuja in the big cities in Nigeria who just take the government line that's fed to them And they put out a totally false narrative. Do you know that if you ask the State Department or the United States government or the administration today, what is responsible for the murder of more than 70,000 Christians in northern Nigeria in the Christian villages since 9-11, so in 20 years, do you know what they will tell you? What is that? Well, you could guess because it's either going to be white supremacy Right? (laughs) Or 
climate change. Oh, I should have guessed. Yes. I mean, literally, because these are nomadic Muslim herdsmen. And they say because the climate is affecting their, their grazing and pushing them south to, to the Christian villages, that this is causing them to come in conflict with the villages. And of course, it's because of global warming that their grazing lands are less and less. And of course, it has nothing to do with the fact that they're ethnically cleansing the land and chopping uh, girls, young girls' heads off while they hack at their babies in their pregnant stomachs with machetes, yelling the same things that they said on those planes on 9-11, Allahu Akbar, God is great. And flying the same flag and carrying the same ideology in their hearts. And by the way, they're not just doing it in Nigeria. These are the Fulani Muslim tribesmen. They're doing it all across. I mean, Congo and Senegal and all over. The Fulani are basically taking over the whole of Africa. They they just, um, they want us to focus on Boko Haram and pretend that the rise of ISIS in West Africa is uh, a phenomenon that, you know, is completely unrelated. ISWAP basically rose by feeding off the blood of Boko Haram and absorbed them. And they were the Al-Qaeda affiliate out there. But, you know, there's been a big lie in this. There's been two big lies in this country for a long time about Islamic terror. And one is that these disparate groups have... Uh, are no threat to us because one's in Mali and Timbuktu, the other one's in Nigeria. What do we care, right? You know, um, Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines, why is that our problem? As Steve Croft said to me once, you know, the thought of Mukhtar Bel Mukhtar in Timbuktu doesn't exactly have me quaking in my boots. Yeah. Laura, you, you have got so many stories to start working on. I don't know how you're ever going to get even 10% of them done in the next 12 months, especially if you want to do them with quality. I mean, you've covered uh, just in the last three minutes with your with your words, you've covered Africa, you've covered South Africa, you've covered Ukraine, United States. I mean, th this is this is um, multi-volume epic in terms of its scope. And you have two children at home and a husband. You don't intend to three. go back into th three children and a husband, not three husbands and a child. And it you feels don't intend. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking maybe metaphorically when I just spoke, and symbolically, you don't intend to go into a, another war zone again, so that that they don't lose you. So you're going to be doing all of this remotely, gathering stories and putting out uh, videos. I wouldn't uh, say I won't go into another war zone again. You're gonna you're gonna paratroop into Ukraine in, anytime soon. Oh no, I don't do play play wars. Laura Logan coming from <laughs> Kiev. <laughs> I don't do play-play wars, I, and I don't do war porn, and I feel like we're doing war porn now. Nice. Um, and when I say play-play wars, I don't mean uh, to dis to uh, be dismissive of the people in Ukraine who are suffering, because uh, you know the fighting and the and the deaths um, are very very real. But there's something wrong here with this picture. Everybody can see it, right? I mean, and when I say that. Why do I say that? Well, the, the language and the rhetoric is very telling because before, uh, you know, Putin never went into Ukraine, they're already talking about World War Three and how he's not going to stop at Ukraine. I mean, Putin, when he, uh, at the last election, when he took office, he said that he would restore the Soviet Union. He said that. So 
And he's been working systematically towards that. So none of this should be a surprise to the people who are supposed to be responsible for this, right? And it also shouldn't be a shock to the world uh, that he wants to restore the, the, so the borders of the Soviet Union. You know, Ukraine doesn't even have its own securely, legally defined border. They never, even though they got their independence, they never actually really got their independence. And I wonder how many of these reporters, you know, even bother to look at the history and it's, it's like when they reported on Hillary Clinton's emails. It was like every day I wanted to shoot myself because it was like, did anyone look at the law? Does anyone talking about this actually know how information is classified? Do you remember the headlines when they said that Trump leaked classified information to the Russians? Of course. At that meeting in the White House? Well, guess what? There's only one human being on the planet who the act of speaking is an act of declassification. Who do you think that person the is? The president. You can't leak if you're the president. He's the only person who can't leak. So how did I know that the reporting was dishonest? How did I know journalists weren't doing their job? You didn't have to be a Donald Trump fan to know that. You had to know the law. You had to know how information is classified. They weren't reporting he shared information with them that the intelligence community thought he shouldn't have shared. They couldn't even say that because his own national security advisor said that there was nothing in there that they were surprised that he shared. It was a made-up story. And it was indicative of the strategy that was being used. And so that was why, that's why I took the position that I took and reported what I reported because I knew what the truth was. Absolutely. So to answer your question, Mark, I'm not... Obviously, I'm much more cautious about where I go and what I do. But there is something wrong with this war. It is not as it appears. We, we are in a, a uncharted territory, and people say that a lot, and it's rarely true. But this is uncharted territory. We currently have a government that has opened the border, that knows that we have zero, zero border security, and at the very same moment, um, doesn't care. And all they do at the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI is worry about parents who are concerned about critical race theory being taught to their kids and people who supported Trump. There, I just want to say something to you both, because I don't think, besides child trafficking, I don't think there's anything that is more despicable that is happening on our watch. There are American citizens who are in prison, some of them in solitary confinement, who have been denied due process. They are being detained without trial. They have never been convicted of a crime. And they've been in prison for more than a year. That is wrong. So, of course, Laura, you're talking about the folks that uh, were at the Capitol on January 6th. Yes. Yeah. I am. And I would be talking about them if there had been a Bernie Sanders rally. I don't care because the principle is the principle. And if you're going to become a nation that says anyone whose politics we don't like, we're going to throw them in jail and we're not going to worry about due process. We're not going to care if they're in solitary confinement, which, by the way, Elizabeth Warren and all these other people on the left, I mean, have long recognized as the most extreme and brutal form of punishment that should be reserved 
only for the very worst defendant. Mark and I uh, just recently had the opportunity to meet uh, Aaron Babbitt, who is Ashley Babbitt's uh, now widower, and yes. uh, talk about a situation that has had no justice or thorough investigation. And that's the poor, that's the poor, that's the poor death. death of Ashley Babbitt. By the way, you're, you're listening uh, to our, you're listening to uh, Laura Logan of Fox Nation and previously 60 Minute Correspondent, uh, who is sharing with us her views on, oh, the world events and so forth that's going on. Laura, by the way, we, Mark and I learned recently that um, our podcast is heard literally around the country and around the world from as far as Australia to Ireland, uh, et cetera. There are a lot of people that are listening that are frustrated, that don't know what to do and don't know who to believe as they're fighting for liberty in their own country. We saw it from the Canadian truckers to uh, protests in Australia and in France and elsewhere. What's your message to people that are listening around the world, looking for an opportunity to fight for liberty, wondering how they can save their country and ultimately support the United States? Isn't that funny that you said support the United States? Yeah, listen. Isn't that supposed to be the other way around? It it is. You know, we. I. I recently. I recently had an opportunity to (laughs) chat with Katie Hopkins, uh, who is a freedom fighter out of uh, Great Britain, who's been kicked out of more countries uh, than you can shake a stick at. And she shared with she shared with us that the world is rooting for the United States because they realize that if that if liberty and freedom fall in the United States, Mm -hmm. if Marxism and socialism and totalitarian ism take takes over in the United States, mm-hmm. then the rest of the world will fall as well. So while they protest and they fight yes. for liberty, they're still looking to the land of liberty as the United States and hoping and praying that patriotic Americans, as we're now seeing with the truckers as they move across the United States and others, and in particular mama bears that are now leading the fight against tyranny, and they're rooting for us and hoping and praying that the United States will survive this this wave of totalitarianism so we can once again uh, be that beacon of hope for the rest of the world. I'll put it to you. The president of Afghanistan said exactly the same thing to me, but I'll put it to you as he said it, right, in his words. And I don't mean uh, the, uh, what what are we allowed to do with language on this Uh, show? You can do whatever you'd like. I don't mean the asshole that packed his bags and stole the money from the Reserve Bank and fled and abandoned his people, right? The CIA asset, Ashraf Ghani. No, I mean the real president, who was vice president at the time, Amrullah Saleh, who is a loyal friend of the United States for more than three decades, who ran the Afghan intelligence services when he was 36 years old and was vice president, but now under the Constitution is interim president, who is still fighting still fighting, even though General Austin and the others said you can't buy the will to fight, right? Mm. Nice. Thanks, Lloyd Austin. When my people have been dying, right? Dying side by side next to yours, that's how you lie about them and discredit them for the annals of history. But anyway, what he said to me was that he called me about a year and a half ago, and he said, Lara, what is happening over there? And uh, I said, it's not good. And we talked and he said, you know, the world is watching because if the light goes out in the United States, it goes out everywhere. 
and there's only darkness that follows. So you think about Winston Churchill saying the lights are going out all across Europe. They may never be lit again in our lifetime. What is happening now is more extraordinary than anything we've witnessed because neither Winston Churchill nor Adolf Hitler nor Lenin nor Stalin had one world. They didn't have the ability to reach 2.5 billion people on the planet the way Facebook does. How do you know that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't really run Facebook? Look at how much power it has. That power is given. It's not acquired or earned. In our country, that power is given. This is what we're learning, right? Mark Zuckerberg didn't invent Facebook. That whole story that maybe he even believes is nonsense. It was developed by DARPA. You don't have to look very far to find the evidence of that. And what they do, these agencies, is they seed the idea. So they hang out in bars and at the college and wherever else, I don't know. And they, and they talk about it and they find the right target to carry, to be the incubator of the idea that they've seeded. And then lo and behold, there's seed money from here and seed money from there. And if you dig a little deeper, you might find that some of those companies maybe have a connection to the agency too, right? Maybe the money comes, maybe the seed money comes from the agency. It's like all this nonsense green energy stuff that will never, ever, ever work. I have a, a green sewage system that sprays sewage all over my own every evening. And, it's, and somebody thought that was a good idea because it was good for the environment. It's one of the worst things ever created, right? And it's expensive. It's even subsidized. It's so expensive that nobody wants to pull it out of the ground because every guy I get comes and says, oh my gosh, you have no idea what that system cost. Look what they did. They created an entire industry and a religion based on abject lies. Okay, they are taking those wind turbines and they are burying them in the desert, hiding them from us. How do you know wind power is a lie? Because they're hiding it from us. And I don't mean that, you know, wind doesn't generate power and blah, blah, blah. I just mean that it doesn't save anything in terms of the carbon footprint. That's where the lie comes in. We, they, they send everything to the landfill. They don't recycle it. I'm sorry to tell you. Okay. And when you ask them about it, when you challenge them, they say, oh, it took us all these years to get people to recycle. We can't admit it. You know, I mean, because we need people to recycle because it's still better, you know, so they can rationalize everything. It's just like, don't tell them that the vaccines could harm them because then everybody won't take it. No, we've got to tell them that it's completely safe, even though it's not right. Because otherwise who's going to do that? So, um, the reason I'm saying uh, all of this is that you can't fight on one front and win. That's not how wars are won. And we today are facing something that no one who wanted to rule the world ever had at their disposal. They already have one world that they are ruling and they can put things online and on social and digital media that are not true and they can affect our lives, our real lives. How much of our days do we spend in the real world 
And how much do we spend now in a virtual world? How much does the virtual world, we get upset by things that are said to us on our, you know, on social media. We don't even know if it was a human being who said it. We literally don't know if it's an algorithm or a bot or someone who was paid to do, write that program who doesn't even know who you are. And you're sitting there and your business is in ruins, your reputation is in ruins, your wife is yelling at you or, you know what I mean? And you're about to be fired from your job. There are real world consequences to what they're doing in this virtual world. And the level of power and control that they have is unprecedented. We have never seen the likes of it before. And we have been, you know, my mother would always say everything has a price. And of course it does. You know this as doctors. I learned this the hard way when she was, was dying. Everything you do to help with medicine can potentially cost you something else, right? You go on and uh, you be intubated like my mother was for months and months and months. Well, the day they you come in and they tell you she has a, a hole in her esophagus from the tube, well, nobody mentioned that. Well, nobody thought she'd be on the ventilator 126 days later, right? So every little thing has a consequence and a cost. And so we were told, have a phone, it'll change your life. Mobile phones, better. Smart this, smart that, better, better, better. But what nobody told us was that uh, we were giving up everything. I, Every for one, do not want to live in the metaverse. I want to live in the real world. And my priority, as I've always said to my patients in my book and in all of my talks, is that I am partisan to and have an agenda for nothing other than the truth. And I know that you feel the same way, and that's how you've lived your life. That's how you've worked and practiced. I really hope that you will continue to speak the truth and to expand that so that more people can hear you in the upcoming weeks and months and years. I will. Will you tell us in our audience where people can find you? Where do you intend to be after you burst forth again in your revitalization in 2022? Where can people find you? They can find me on Locals and on, Locals. And on Rumble. I'm still trying to figure out how to use those apps. And as our uh, little uh, <clears throat> preamble to the show uh, demonstrated <laughs> this evening, I have like zero interest in becoming technologically um, savvy. However, I'm realizing that we are quickly being divided into the uh, technological class and the rest of us who are just uh, slaves with no rights and no say and no voice and no anything. You know, I went to my daughter's soccer game on Friday night at the local high school here. I live in a small town. Um, and there was a family who couldn't get in to watch the soccer because they didn't have a smartphone to scan the QR code and an email to put in on the app to get tickets. They were standing there with cash. And there's the woman, the woman that we used to pay, we used to give her our cash and go in and watch the game. She's still there, right? But you know what she's doing? She's standing there telling people to scan the QR code. This is the example of where we're heading. If we don't learn to value reality, our five senses, our face-to-face -face interactions with others, and our unique identity as human beings, we cannot be turned into virtual people. Uh, no matter how hard they try. But if we don't fight back and if we don't continue to push for the basic foundational sources of happiness and connection, 
I, I, I really do feel uh, fearful for the future. So I, I, I thank you so much for sharing a wide ranging subject matter, everything from politics to war, to philosophy, to uh, Joseph Mengele, Anthony Fauci, the universe, the metaverse, virtual reality. Um, I think we could talk for another hundred hours and not even touch scratch the surface of all of these things. Uh, perhaps when you get your, um, your show up and running very shortly, I hope it's shorter rather than later, um, you can come back and speak with us again and tell us what you're up to. I will, Mark. And this is what I want to say to you. Um, there's a book, Human Forever, by a fascinating guy, James Palouse. And uh, people who are concerned about this and want to understand more about where we're headed um, can follow him. Um, he's, it, it's really worth taking a look at. And maybe you want to have him as a guest on your show, too. And, um, and for people uh, to understand, you know, we've always been told that superheroes are in a way better than us, right? Because they have these superpowers and we as humans are less. And the whole transhumanism movement and, you know, there are people who want to be gods. I, I have no problem being human and not being a god and no confusion there. But um, there are all these people who want to be gods and who want to rule and who want to have power. And when you actually look at it, if humans were not the real superheroes, why does everyone come here to help humanity or to fight humanity or to so on and so on, right? If you look through all the, the myths and the legends, and what you realize is that we as humans have something that no alien and no superhero and, and all the rest of it, that, that none of them have, which is this thing called being human. And what is uh, a signature of our humanity, two real things that define it are our, our humor, right? Our ability to laugh and make jokes and be ironic. It's never replicated in any of the alien invasions, is it? <laughs> the aliens aren't known for their humor. And if you speak to people who believe in what's that thing where they travel through the universes Black and holes. whatever, astral projection, astral projection. When you speak to these people, what they will tell you is that the only human quality that no alien race possesses is humor because it really is the heart and soul of a human being. And the other part of us that cannot be written into AI is that we will die for our principles and we will die for what we believe in. There is no algorithm that you can write for that because none, no one can predict the moment that we make that decision. We can say it, you can write an algorithm based on what we've said and expect that when someone has a gun at my child's head, I'm gonna follow through on what I've always promised and take a bullet for them. But not everyone can do that. So you don't actually know until that moment what decision that person will take. So I might be driving one night when I'm old and realize that I'm, there's a woman crossing the street with a baby and I'm not gonna make it and I might choose to plow my vehicle into a tree or a wall so that that child lives. And that is the essence of being a human that is about being a superhero, that is worth fighting for, because that is the good in all of us. And so all of this stuff about we've already lost this and we've already lost that and blah, 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 all of it is about making sure that we don't exercise the power we have within us because it's greater than everything trying 
to conquer and suppress us and control us. And that is the essence of freedom, and it is represented in free will. Because even the pirate Charles Vane, he chose to let the British hang him when his pirates were in the square in the Bahamas, where you can go today and see where he was hanged. He chose to die and become a martyr and a freedom fighter because he said, why am I killing and raping and murdering for the British when I could be doing it for myself? And instead of taking a salary, I can keep all the treasure. <laughs> and when he did it for the British, he was just a good man. He was a contractor and a privateer. When he did it for himself, he was a pirate, but he was really a freedom fighter. Well, Laura, you have proven your humanity through both your sacrifice and your humor. And we thank you for being on Informed Descent. I've done nothing, Mark. Life is hard for everyone. You've done a lot. And I didn't let Jeff talk. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Jeez, Jeff, I feel bad. You've been listening to Informed Descent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Descent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.